My name is Jenna, and I'm the idiot who happened to be podcasting with Brent. Welcome to hey everybody! <laughs> Welcome to Fandalites. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> hey everybody! Welcome to Fandalites. This week is Megamorphs number two in the time of the dinosaurs. Megasode two. Wah wah wah. Megasode. Brent and I have both been drinking. I think we're both drinking usually before we record because this is an adult podcast for adults. It's marked explicit in the iTunes store. Oh, that's good. Every time I curse, I I worry. But not enough to stop cursing, so. Um, yeah, so the, the the drink that we're having this time, or that I'm having at least, uh, because we are no longer physically in the same state. So <laughs> we can't do it exactly like we did Megamorphs number one. Um, for better or for worse. Uh, the drink that I'm having this time is inspired by Axe. I actually found it on the internet rather than making it up myself. It's supposed to taste like a Cinnabon, uh, but it actually just tastes like cream soda and Fireball because those are the two things that go in it. Yeah. I mean, I think Axe would still probably get down on it. You know what? He I, yeah, I guess Axe hasn't had alcohol yet. No. Because oh. they're, they're, they're barely teenagers. <laughs> Do you think Andalites have alcohol? Um, I bet sometimes berries fall to the ground and then ferment and then they step on them and then can't help but absorbing it because they have a bad they've evolved in a bad way well as previously established the canon for this podcast is that they evolved <laughs> purposely via partial morphs yeah that's right you know what that's actually pretty freaky the fact that they chose they chose to eat with their feet i mean i have to assume somebody's fetish was involved yeah, hey, speaking of fetishes, hey, boy, do a lot of people get swallowed in this book. Oh, my God. This is the first <laughs> book where I think we just have actual straight-up vor happening. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, we'll get there. So we're going to do this chronologically like we did Megamorphs 1 as best as we can, which is we'll see how good is. I expect things to get more loose as we progress. Yeah. I mean, not that time matters in this or any of the Animorphs books, as you might have guessed based on the title in The Time of the Dinosaurs. This book opens with a Sanrio rip into the far distant past of Earth. Marco sees this news story about a nuclear submarine like stranded off the coast and decides to tell the rest of them because they need to go be comic book superheroes, I guess. Yeah, like, yes, like actually Superman or Batman with some sort of bat sub. <laughs> the, the Animorph sub. Yeah, which is just them as dolphins. It's it's a sub that transforms into a sub that looks like a dolphin. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really like I really like that Marco sees this and is like, yeah. Yeah, we've got to go help them because they're like superheroes. And it's so it's pretty far outside their wheelhouse. Like the Yerks aren't there or they aren't anywhere to be found in this situation. They're just like these nerds are just very excited to help people. That's nice. <laughs> well, we, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen that Marco really kind of wants to be a superhero. He's always talking about how they need better uniforms than bike shorts and whatever. He's true, although I think the better, quote-unquote, better uniforms he's thinking of are probably, like, the X-Men, like, spandex uniforms, which are not arguably better. Right. Rachel kind of points that out. Yeah, wisely. So they go into the ocean, and they find a diver? Just like a diver? Yeah, rescue diver, I think, right? Because they have uh, rescue divers looking for the sub, because GPS doesn't exist. Right, because it's 1998 or so. Yeah, they find the diver, and... As dolphins just sort of gesture slash drag her towards the sub. They just sort of bump her towards the sub, which they found via echolocation. Yeah, and that works. The The diver just sort of goes along with it. Which I, I appreciate. I feel like... I feel like if there were any creature trying to communicate with a human and that human would be receptive to that communication, dolphins pretty high up there. Oh, man, that reminds me that uh, our fan theory is basically confirmed 
uh, at this point in the first Cassie chapter, where she admits that she loves morphine dolphins now because she's convinced they have souls. Yeah, I didn't even read that until you, well, I read it, but I didn't ingest it until you pointed it out. That's weird. I'm just going to have a brief reading here from the book of Animorphs, Megamorphs number two. I love being a dolphin. How can you not love it? I'm not crazy about morphine insects, especially the mindless little automatons like termites and ants, but I'm convinced that dolphins have souls. Boom. Mic drop. Cassie loves morphine sentience. Next fan theory for us to come up with and fucking canonize. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. God, it's... Oh, man, Cassie. I don't disagree because I think I'd probably be the same way because that's got to be the coolest part like like becoming an ant or something is kind of bullshit but becoming something that has a soul and you take control of its soul (gasps) what a rush that's dark what a secret rush for cassie that's cassie man that's not that ain't i mean that is me that is what i was saying (laughs) but the the point is (laughs) well and as we'll as we'll sort of hit later on in this book i think ka applegate has purposefully seeded this pattern of cassie most vociferously objecting to things that she secretly is really into. Yeah, the fact that she has, uh, the the lady doth protest too much in regards to morphing things that have souls. It, it, it yeah, I mean, she just comes right out and says it. Uh-huh. She just says it. She doesn't like things that don't seem to have souls or sentient, but she's super down on humans and dolphins. God, she's so down on humans. It's not even funny. <laughs> and again, same. So, uh, so they, yeah, they find the ship, and I think they are clued into something happening because all the rescue ships bail. Like they find it and they hang out and save some people, but then they 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 leave very quickly, and then that's how that's how the animorphs know. Like, well. Maybe we should also run, but they don't get a chance. Right, they don't get away fast enough. They're caught in the nuclear explosion, which like. I don't even know where to start about the effects of a a nuclear explosion in waters close to... I mean, it's like a... It it seems like it's going to be a Fukushima-type situation, right? Yeah, kind of. Like, it's a a nuclear reactor melting down and causing a giant explosion, which in itself is kind of awfully bad news for the water just outside of their... the place they live. Although I guess they imply that it's not actually the reactor on the submarine that melts down so much as one of the bombs just goes off. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe... maybe I was just reading too much into it. But yeah, it's... it's not a great scene for the local underwater flora and fauna. Or the people that live there. Yeah, that seems like that should have long-term lingering effects that I'm going to assume are just not addressed at all, even though they don't undo the explosion. Like, that thing happened in the continuity of these books. So apparently, in the Animorphs universe, getting caught in a nuclear blast uh, misplaces you in time. Yeah, and that's weird. It raises a lot of questions about uh, what happened to the victims of nuclear incidents and attacks, like, outside of this? Yeah, I guess so. I, uh... Did the entire populations of, of Hiroshima and Nagasaki <gasps> end up in the Cretaceous period? Oh my god, Brent. It's really... There's Brent. some uncomfortable implications from this, is all I'm saying, if you just get hit by a nuke and then you time travel. I just assume that Animorphs were special somehow, like... Like, their place in time is loose because they've been knocked and, and bandied about time so much, but you raise a pretty upsetting question. It's extremely upsetting. I guess K.A. Applegate raises a pretty upsetting question. Yeah, and I just don't know... I just don't know if she intended to. No, it seems like... It, it seems like all of the Megamorphs are a little bit... Like... They're almost, almost not canon. Like, they are canon, <sighs> but they're almost not, because they, they do some stuff that does not seem to fall in line they're with the, the rest of the holiday specials? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is the Jurassic Park holiday special episode. Where they learn the true meaning of DNA, I guess. <laughs> not in this book. Well, yeah, that's for fucking sure. Um, yeah, so they're knocked back in time and realize it pretty quickly because 
they dive, they, they jump out of the water as dolphins and see a volcano and have a pretty good feeling that that's not right. Yeah, well, they realize that something has happened. They're not in the same place, but it takes them almost an upsettingly long amount of time to consider Sanrio Rip as a possibility for what happened. <laughs> yeah, and can I just say that the first time in this book that I read Sario Rip, I was like, that's what a weird typo. <laughs> I, I, forgot that. I forgot that it wasn't actually Sanrio Rip. <laughs> well, I mean, that's canon for our podcast. It is Sanrio Rip here. It is Sanrio Rip. In this house, we say Sanrio Rip. <laughs> as long as you're podcasting under my roof. <laughs> so they get split up almost immediately because a fucking dinosaur. I think it's a chronosaur. I think it's a chronosaur, specifically. I'm not even going to pretend that I will get any of the dinosaurs in this book correct. I googled all of them to see what they looked like in order to fill out my mind's eye of this book. Because uh, I'm really, I get really invested in reading them and I just want to be able to sort of experience them as much as I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ra- Rachel and Tobias get swallowed by a chronosaurus. Sorry, I didn't I didn't put the right emphasis on that sentence. Let me back up. Uh, Tobias and Rachel get swallowed whole <laughs> by a chronosaurus. <laughs> this is just more evidence that the Animorphs are actually a D&D party. Oh, it's so D&D. It's so, yeah, it's so swallowed whole and then have to fight their way out of the stomach of the beast. Yes, Rachel. Kind of. <laughs> Rachel morphs a bear and cuts her way out. Although she goes through a lung first so they can get some air. Which I love so much. Yes, it's very good. Yeah, Tobias morphs back to being a bird and almost immediately gets knocked out because he's a bird in a dinosaur stomach. And I don't know, I guess that's what happens when that's a thing. It seems... And Rachel goes straight to bear (laughs) because... Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I mean, Rachel goes straight to bear. That's all that needs to get said about that. Of course she does. She's a hammer and every problem is a nail. <laughs> she's she's a bear and every problem is a picnic basket. <laughs> I just, I so, I love so much that she, she doesn't go straight for the outside. She's like, we need, we're in a stomach. We need air to breathe. Lungs are a thing that almost all creatures have. I'm just going to punch until I find a lung. And she does. <laughs> it's so good. It works out extremely well. Yeah, it works out as basically as well as it could. And then that thing beaches itself and they escape pretty easily, which is good. Yeah, although Tobias's injuries do not heal. Yeah, that's so weird. So this is something that it was very upsetting to read about. When Tobias morphs human and then morphs back to hawk, his wing is still broken. And that, like, doesn't happen. Yeah, that's like the one of the basic tenements of the Animorphs is that they, they almost get, like, their tail bitten off or whatever bullshit. And then they morph and they're fine. And at first, it, I mean, they don't really ever come back and explain this. It's just, it's... I assume there is a dramatic device so that you don't have two things that can morph and Rachel has to carry Tobias around like a little little hawk care package. Little hawk. Little yeah, hawk. like a stuffed animal. Yeah. Like a little little teddy bear. This is the second time that we've seen Tobias experience a facet of morphine that is not correct and that the others don't really. Because none of the rest of them have this can't heal once I've morphed experience in this book. And Tobias is, to date, the only one who's had an acquisition go wrong where they didn't enter the morphine trance. And even though he, has, he, has, he hasn't acquired a lot of animals, he's kind of been kind of fucking lazy in that, that extent. Dude but, just really likes being a hawk. And that, that also comes through yeah. in this book a whole bunch. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, it's sort of frustrating because it seems like it's just kind of a plot device to get Rachel and Tobias closer together. And I'm not against that. I just don't understand why it's happening because it's really eroding at the Animorphs canon. And that's our job. (laughs) I I believe that Tobias actually brings up in this book that like maybe the Elemist got something wrong. Maybe they're not all powerful and he finds that bizarrely comforting. But maybe he's not wrong. I mean, it's very possible. That just seems... K.A. is really good at foreshadowing stuff. Yes. 
So it's that is really possible that she's foreshadowing a future Illumist episode where where the the Illumist done fucked up. I really appreciate that you now think of Animarch's books in terms of episodes. That's I feel like <laughs> oh, no. I feel like I won. I won a victory over you. <laughs> I didn't even realize I did that. Mm, no, it's very good. I'm so into it. I'm so ashamed in the books. <laughs> There is literally nothing to be ashamed of. You're a podcaster, goddammit. Yeah, I am now. I just became a podcaster. You all here, you were all here to experience it, which is beautiful. You are witness to a great becoming. Fucking anyway, so Tobias and Rachel are off on their own adventures. Uh, Cassie, Marco, Axe, and Jake split off because they saw them get swallowed by a dinosaur. And were like, well, that whale, question mark... Mm. <laughs> swallowed them so we've just kind of got to keep going and they'll probably be fine i guess yeah it's on the one hand it's a little upsetting how blasé they seem to be about tobias and rachel getting eaten on the other hand there really isn't a lot they can do about it so it seems to fit their like particular trauma yeah it kind of fits in with i think it was last week's book where they were on the alien planet. Another fucking Sanrio rip. Oh, no, that was a Z-Space extrusion anomaly. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't time travel. It was space and time travel. That's right. It was double. Uh, Anyway, in that one, they also have this weird elastic snapback phenomenon and members of their party go missing and they just sort of shrug and follow through. At least in this book, Cassie seems to be pretty upset that her best friend is dead probably yeah it comes through in cassie's chapters more than the others that she's very upset about this but can't stop to think about it or she won't be able to go on with the necessary business of surviving yeah speaking of which let's go ahead and skip forward to the surviving bit yeah let's just skip right over the part where axe murders a t-rex with his tail blade (laughs) okay let's skip to that part so axe murders a t-rex with his tail blade can we say that just one more time because i feel like i had to stop and put the book down and just absorb that for a second (laughs) uh go for it say it again axe murders a t-rex with his tail blade it's so good it's so good but it's so wrong i don't really understand the physics of it it's like okay so my parents old dog his mom was a Sheltie, but he looked exactly like a Black Lab, so they're pretty sure that his dad was a Black Lab. And I don't know how that works. It's a similar situation here, <laughs> where I, I'm just not sure how slot, slot B accepts tab A and then dies. Because the, Axe isn't, I mean, he's a deer, plus a scorpion tail. And the, the images we have are all of a pretty long tail. Like, it's got some reach, but it doesn't have... Sure very much reach it doesn't have t-rex throat height reach oh man jenna oh man jenna i just realized why andalites don't have torsos why so they don't need that extra clearance for the tail blade it (laughs) makes so much sense (laughs) yes it does that's that yeah that's why the andalites designed that morph without torsos because then you don't have to clear that's so good brent Mm -hmm. Yes. You've just collapsed two of our extremely true and canon (laughs) fan theories into one perfect synergistic, I don't want to say contrivance because it's 100% true and accurate. One perfect gif of an Italian chef doing that kissing thing with their fingers. (laughs) Yeah. Can you make that noise? Mamma mia. So yeah, it raises questions because even if you're hitting a T-Rex's throat, which is a lot taller than axe's tail reach like how yeah i mean it is like bending down to try and bite up marco and we do know that axe can move his tail blade almost fast enough that you can't see it 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 still seems i i feel like even ka think it's thinks it seems unreasonable because immediately after it happens everybody in all the animorphs are like, oh, Axe, that was so cool. You killed a T-Rex. And Axe was like, no, that wasn't cool. That was luck. And is like very serious about he how he can never do that again in the rest of this book <laughs> because it would solve all their problems. Yeah, I do kind of, I did kind of get the feeling 
um, that immediately the book went, all right, move on. Don't think about this too hard. Yeah. Don't, don't assume X can kill other dinosaurs because that's the main thing that's happening in these books. Jokes on UK, Applegate. Our entire premise is thinking about this too hard. Pretty good and crazy. And is then immediately followed up with Cassie being like a survival expert. Yeah, she goes full bear grills. It's very good. It's extremely good. Yeah, Rachel good. goes f- full bear, and then Cassie goes full... Ouch. Full bear, full, full bear grills. Ouch. So yeah, they kill a T-Rex, and then Cassie is like, snaps two, and is like, Axe, I need you to cut some sandals out of that T-Rex hide for us, and we're gonna make some steaks, and, and also jerky, we're gonna smoke some jerky, and use the tendons as shoelaces. And it's like, hey, What? <laughs> It's pretty good, though. I like this take charge Survivor Man Cassie. I do, too. And I don't think it's too far outside of what we've seen for her character so far. I agree. She sort of the the skunk book. She had to come to terms a certain amount with the way that nature works. Yeah. And I feel like of all the Animorphs, she is the one who would most likely stop and say, we got caught in a jungle at one point. Maybe I should learn some survival skills so that if this, if, when this happens again, we're not super caught out in the cold. Of course, her survival skills are not top notch because I'm pretty sure this T-Rex sandal idea, they're basically just walking around with rotting chunks of meat on their feet. I don't know how lizard skin shoes work but i'm pretty certain it takes processing there's a a part of the first tarzan novel where he observes some tribesmen who have clothing made out of like leopard skin and so then he goes and murders a leopard and wears its skin as clothing but it like hardens like a board because he doesn't understand what tanning is and i feel like that's this that's this right here except just lizard that's a great citation right <laughs> thank you i love that's a great pull original tarzan yeah the first tarzan book that's great I, I mean, don't go read it. Edgar Rice Burroughs is a tremendous racist. Super, super and there is racist, yeah. Some extremely problematic stuff in those, but... Still, that was a great poll. That was a fantastic poll. That was even better than Rachel's magic school bus poll, which she does in this book. <laughs> she does it so good. Yeah, I just am so delighted that Cassie is like, all right, use t- yeah, let's get some tendons and make a bow to make fire with. Yes! What?! Yes, she successfully navigates them through a, a, a making fire with a tension bow. And when Cassie took charge, my thought was, oh, I wonder if Cassie was in Girl Scouts. Then, like, at the part where they're making fire, she's talking about half-remembered Boy Scout lore and scenes from TV and movies. And it's like, wow, okay, <laughs> you actually are just really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like a wasted opportunity to not have had... I just, uh, my canon, and as we know, all of our canons are more canon than canon. My canon is that Cassie was like, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna read a book about how to do these things so that when it happens again, we're not caught unaware. More canon than canon would be a pretty good subtitle for our uh, show in general. I like that. Can we add that to stuff? Fandalites, more to canon than canon. I, mean, I feel like we could add that to our page, at least, or maybe our Twitter. Yeah, I like it a lot. And it's super accurate. So after they start a fire and are overjoyed about the fire that they make, I mean, they pretty much just hang out and keep watch overnight. I guess maybe we, sh- we should switch back to Tobias and Rachel. Well, that's what the book does. I mean, they make some, some T-Rex kebabs and Jake mentions that they taste like a, like a swordfish, like a mild fish. <laughs> yeah, would, it's very specific. Would be better with salt. <laughs> like, all right. Okay, cool. Marco Marco dunks on him a little for that. It's a nice, it's a nice, sweet little, not plot building scene, but just, you know, a bunch of friends hanging out in the Cretaceous period. <laughs> yeah. Chowing down on some T-Rex kebabs. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. But yeah, then the book jumps back to Rachel and Tobias, who are not having their best day ever. No, they are doing pretty rough. <laughs> They are, uh, after after Rachel splints Tobias's wing with uh, some bits from her leotard, which is very upsetting. Yes, from her, from her midriff specifically. It's so desert island romance fantasy. I can't, it's so good. Yeah, I have to imagine that there's been multiple erotic fanfics stemming from like extensions of this scene. I'm going to assume not because that bums me out. But maybe like romantic scene insert fics that are 
safely PG. All right. I I don't know what internet you're on, but I would like to join it <laughs> instead of the one that I have, I, if that's at all possible. Where there's a lot of vor that we're going to talk about later. Yeah. It's all PG vor, though. Well. PG-13 tops. What I would argue that no vor is PG. It's all by definition. I don't know. Yeah, listen, we can't, I guess we can't begin to argue about the definition of porn. Nobody's nude except the T-Rex. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and the T-Rex is alive and nude. <laughs> Live nude T-Rex. <laughs> anyway, <sighs> Tobias knows immediately what's happening because he's a fucking nerd and played with dinosaur uh, toys as a kid. Uh, and something about that made me feel like maybe that's part of why you liked him so much. I don't know. Brent, were you a dinosaur kid? I feel like I was more of a superhero kid than a dinosaur kid, but I did have toy dinosaurs. I did, you know, participate in school projects about dinosaurs. I think all little kids like dinosaurs to some extent, right? Yeah, we were in the right area to watch Jurassic Park and to get into them. In my experience... Most of the kids I knew growing up were either super into space and didn't care all that much about dinosaurs or super into dinosaurs and didn't care about space. I sort of dabbled in both. You're a well-rounded fellow. I was more into space, but I dabbled in dinosaurs too. Yeah, I was more into dinosaurs, but I didn't retain very much of the information that I took in. Unlike Tobias, who has names for like fucking all of the dinosaurs. He knows them all. Tobias knows the names of geologic eras and which one they're likely in based on the dinosaurs. So he already beats me, like by a lot. I did some very minor Googling to confirm that all of the dinosaurs mentioned were from a Cretaceous period, although some of them were from late and some from early, which doesn't seem like that bad. That seems pretty good. Tobias does have an end note at the end of the book about how some of them... Scientists think are from, you know, the middle Cretaceous, but one tried to eat me, so who are you going to believe? And Kay Applegate does, I think, a pretty clever thing here where she has Tobias call out in his narration that he's not 100% sure he's right about what kind of dinosaurs they're seeing because he knows them from, like, his toys. And I feel like a lot of the typical dinosaur phenotypes, the body shapes that you're going to see, there's usually something similar to that in a lot of the eras we normally think of when we think of dinosaurs. So I feel like that was, that was a clever little thing to sort of give her an out if if later on it's discovered, oh, actually, T-Rex never existed. It's three other dinosaurs that we just <laughs> pinned together by accident or something like that. It's good thinking ahead on her part to not lock herself in on any descriptions. Although I will say, none of them she described as having feathers. And one of the, the dinosaur that Rachel and Tobias end up acquiring... Dan- Danny Agosaurus? The Danny Nocaris. The Danny Nocaris, yes. <laughs> As Rachel is. calls it. Yes, when I googled that thing, it did. most of the images appeared showed feathers. It was basically the, the raptors from Jurassic Park. You could only hedge so much. This was before the popular conception of dinosaurs involved feathers at all. Which is a shame, because the idea that dinosaurs have feathers is so delightful. I'm pretty sure that even now in the Jurassic asterisk movies they don't have feathers no i don't think they do either which is disappointing Eh. it's fine i guess tobias and rachel just sort of wander into the woods like you do yeah it mentions specifically that her feet are getting all fucked up from sawgrass and she's very concerned about the fashion faux pas of having uh fringed (laughs) leggings because they're getting cut up by the sawgrass she's okay with the bared midriff but the fringed leggings are a definite no which like of course rachel of course rachel of course rachel it's good to see that she hasn't she still is rachel as ever even even after being swallowed whole right it's i think a, a really a tribute um to how strongly Kay applegate manages to characterize rachel specifically that we have reading this felt that both her as a bear cutting her way into <laughs> and through the lung of a creature that swallowed her and her complaining about the fashion, the, the fashionability of her battle damage morph outfit are both 100% Rachel. They're so Rachel. It's so, yeah, it is spectacular. She's got, yeah, she's got strong. Yeah, at, at one point, I think Marco says something like, the only thing that can kill Rachel is something angrier than Rachel, so she's fine. <laughs> That's true. He does say that. 
which is pretty great. So yeah, Rachel's getting her feet all cut up, uh, but she won't tell Tobias. And Tobias is also hurt more than he says. They're both putting on brave faces for each other. Yeah, she's like carrying him because he can't be on her shoulder because he's jostling around too much and he digs in with his talons. Yeah, so she just sort of packs him up under her arm as they go tromping around dinosaur land. They, they almost immediately run afoul of these raptors. Well, so they stumble on some Michaelceratops. <laughs> it's very good, Brett. Sorry, I... I couldn't stop thinking Michael Ceratops <laughs> the whole book. I don't know why. Anyway, they stumble upon a herd of these dudes and then pretty quickly figure out that they're getting attacked by the raptor things, the Donnynockeruses. Mm-hmm. I, t- I told you I would not remember the names of the dinosaurs. <laughs> no, the, it's more important to remember the name of the aliens that come later. Which I did write down for once. Me too, Yes. Yeah, they they run afoul of these raptors and they run into the forest and there's this kind of weird slapstick s scene where Rachel has been running so hard they make it into the trees and she vomits. Yeah. And then has to throw Tobias into a tree because he can't fly. And the the way that they describe it, it mentions that she's throwing him like a basketball and I'm just picturing her trying to do a layup <laughs> with Tobias. <laughs> Silly. It seems to work, which is crazy. I, well, like, it takes a couple tries. But they are being chased by the Donnynockeruses. That's true. It, the fact that they managed to get any plan to work is pretty impressive. Right. And Tobias has come up with this, frankly, insane plan where Rachel throws him into a tree and he just grabs on with his talons because he can't fly because his wing's broken. So he just grabs on and then waits for one of the Donnynockeruses to go under him and just lets go and drops down and acquires it by landing on it. And it somehow fucking works. Yeah, it's the, about the only piece of luck they have. Because as soon as he morphs it, he gets taken over, of course. Right. I mean, Tobias does officially get the first Dinomorph, and it seems like the Dinomorphs have stronger instincts, I guess, than a lot of their modern animal counterparts, because... Everybody pretty much gets taken over for a little when they first morph these dudes. It, that's definitely the case. And I think it's interesting that uh, later on, Cassie acquires a morph as well, a T-Rex morph. And Cassie and Tobias are by far the most affected. And we'll, we can get to Cassie when we get to there. But it, I thought it was interesting that Tobias as a bird of prey, it, it, the dinosaur instinct seems to fit in for him. Yeah. Like it seems to make sense to him as a bird of prey. And I thought that was kind of an interesting evolutionary note, mm-hmm. almost. Uh, but he has real trouble. He tracks down Rachel, who's a bear again, because Rachel, you know. Right. Cuts cuts Rachel open in the process of challenging the, the alpha raptor. And takes a while to get back to himself. Right. So, yeah, he defeats this alpha raptor and then turns on her. And she's like, uh, Tobias, it's me, Rachel. You're Tobias. You're a person. And then she realizes, oh, no, of course, that's not going to work. Uh, because it doesn't. And she says, Tobias, you're a hawk. Remember thermals? And he's like, <laughs> Rachel? Which is, uh, I did not care for that. I did not care for the fact that Rachel did not bring him back to himself, but fucking thermals did. Yeah, the fact that Rachel slash him being human had no effect, but the feeling of flying and him being a hawk did. Oof. I mean, I know that way fits his characterization, but it's still gut-wrenching. It's hard every time. And in fact, this book is the first time that we've actually seen anybody approach Tobias about maybe morphing human and staying human. And it, it happens, and they neither of them really comment after she says it, and it's not brought up again, but... It's, I'm glad that somebody finally mentioned it. Right, right. Rachel brings it up and Tobias just kind of ignores it. Um, and I don't know what that means, except I'm hoping that that, I'm hoping that that's foreshadowing a future discussion. It's very upsetting for someone as invested in the Tobias-Rachel ship as I am. <laughs> Although the more of these books we read, the more I see the case for the Marco-Rachel ship. They do have 
have sort of a kinship. Mm-hmm. Theirs is a more... It, I feel like Marco and Rachel's relationship is the kind that in a lot of media would be a romance. Because it's like, oh, they hate each other and they're sniping at each other. But that's just how you know they like each other. It is better for not being a romance, though, because they do seem more like just very good friends. I feel like if they weren't thrown into the situation, they would not ever engage with each other as much as possible. They'd ignore each other, but they don't really have a choice. So they've... They've made a peace with their antagonism. Right, they've got a grudging respect for each other, something of a rivalry. The only reason that I see the case, though, for the Marco-Rachel ship is that they are teenagers, and teenagers are hormone beasts. Yeah, that's true. They are terrible. I forget sometimes. Yeah, yeah. All teenagers are terrible. Sorry, Generation Z or whatever, but we were terrible when we were teenagers, and so are you. That's just how that's just how being a teenager is. Yeah, and now we're terrible as an adult, but in entirely different ways. Right, that's that's a hundred percent my fault. So they yeah, they managed to both acquire the Danny Knockerus morphs. Mean meanwhile 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 back at camp Axe notices a fucking comet. That will never come up again or be important. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, the fact that there's a fucking comet. Do not talk about the comet. Pay no attention to the comet. The fact that none of them piece together, the fact that they are at the end of the Cretaceous period, which according to Tobias is the end of the reign of the dinosaurs immediately before something, wink, wipes out the dinosaurs, and there's a comet hovering overhead. Tobias pieces this together fairly early on. He just doesn't let the others in so that he can be a hard man making hard decisions. (laughs) Which he definitely does by the end of this. A hard hawk making hard decisions. Yeah, which as as we know from Western media is the ideal to which all dudes should aspire. Withholding information so that they get to make the cool, badass, horrible decision later hard man making hard decisions there's just no way around it yeah but meanwhile like axe cassie marco and jake are just sort of like what a beautiful comet oh and axe to be fair axe does assure them like it's probably not gonna hit earth but that would not that would not assure me at all in that instance axe actually does some calculations because andalites are crazy good at math or something. Or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just Axe. Maybe it's not all Andalites. I don't know. But he basically gives them an estimate that it's going to miss Earth by like three or four Earths. Yeah. It, I mean, it's close enough that it's a concern. It's close enough that I feel like your margin of freehand math error might be big enough to account for it. I mean, as far as I know, he does this entirely in his head. I guess he could be like making notches on a tree with his tail blade. <laughs> I actually like that quite a lot. Right, he's he's drawing formulas in the dirt. <laughs> he's counting on his, the extra fingers on his hands. <laughs> God, I forget about their extra fingers all the time. So they get attacked by another T-Rex. There's a stampede. They just keep fucking running into T-Rexes. I f- there can't be that many. Throw a rock and hit one, I guess. It's the Cretaceous. It seems like the number of T-Rexes they run into is... Implausibly high. Uh, but more importantly... Yeah, Jake gets stuck under an... I don't know if we get a name for this dinosaur, but it's some sort of tall, long-necked... It's described like what I remember as a brontosaurus. I don't know if... I have not kept up on dinosaur science, so that might not (laughs) even be a real dinosaur anymore, but very much described like a brontosaurus. If you've seen The Land Before Time, it is a long neck. Yes, yeah, it's a long neck, long tail, and Jake gets stuck under it, and then it gets killed by a T-Rex, and he gets trapped under it. It doesn't seem to crush his legs. Which is weird. I, I, Part of me, when I read that, wondered if K.A. wasn't avoiding any other serious injuries so that she didn't have to have them morph those injuries away and then raise the question of why Tobias couldn't morph them away, or... Yeah, that's sort of what I assumed at the time, but it still seems... Lame. Uh, Or maybe she was just opening that up so that Jake could get swallowed whole by the T-Rex. Right, because this is vor number two that happens in this book. Yeah, this is the most vor. This is the most, according to my understanding of the arousing parts of vor, this is the most vor part. Because it is explicit about the tongue and the teeth. And the moisture and the sliminess and the saliva. And the throat muscles beating the shit out of him. Yes, as he slips down. Right, which is weird, because Jake actually is the first one that acquires one of these animals from the inside, which is 
astounding to me because I feel like Tobias and Rachel probably should have tried that. Yeah, it is weird that they didn't go for it, but I guess they were under pressure, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's not like Jake isn't, but yeah, he just grabs onto the tongue and is like, acquire, 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 morph, morph, morph. <laughs> uh, and he and does. Like, yeah, he morphs partway to T-Rex in the T-Rex's throat and then gets spat out by the T-Rex. And it turns out he ruptured something because the thing immediately like sits down and falls over and just starts wheezing and moaning. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be dead, but does not seem to be well either. Which is a weird plot point because Marco specifically says that they needed a live to acquire it. Right? That is so... That's part of why I feel like the Megamorph books are almost outside of continuity, because we established very recently in these books that blood is enough to acquire the DNA, which makes sense. Blood has DNA in it. But you still need a living T-Rex to get its DNA? Yeah, it makes me wonder if we won't... Okay, if this was written today, I will say. I don't know in the time period. If it was written today... I feel like Axe would make some sort of hand-wavy explanation about quantum entanglement and, like, the blood sample needing to be from someone who's currently alive uh, because of quarks or something. <laughs> like, it, it would be some real, real baseless science, but it would be babbly enough that people would buy it. At the time, I don't know if it was as big a deal um, in pop culture, I mean, I feel like if there were something that could be used to hand wave this, K.A. would have. Maybe not yet. She might still be setting it up. Yeah, that's true. This could be set up for some book later on where they have to acquire. I mean, they and the Animorphs might be wrong. They might think that they need a live morph and that might not be the case. Mm, I feel like Axe would correct Marco immediately. He cannot contain himself this whole book just constantly dunking on how primitive your fucking fusion explosives are like in a kid's toy water like out the toilet <laughs> plutonium well all right i guess maybe if we're slumming it yeah he is so extra persnickety in this book he's extra extra laying laying it on real thick yeah i, I feel like if Marco had been wrong when he said they needed a live to acquire it, Axe would have just pushed him into a well, actually. <laughs> yeah, that seems very, very possible. And and Axe doesn't, so I guess that's it has to be live blood. But like I said before, we, we have seen Kay Applegate do things somewhat inexplicable before that she later on sort of landed and that had obviously she'd been setting them up. So I'm not ready quite yet to call it explicitly just her not giving a shit because uh, <laughs> she seems way more attentive to detail on this than that. I have to imagine she's aware of this inconsistency and is setting it up for an explanation. I hope so. I mean, we're, we're uh, about like a third of the way through the books. Just about, because there's about 60 and we're almost at book 20. Are we counting the Alternomorphs, which we will 100% do episodes of? <laughs> I'm rounding up because there's 55 books in the actual continuity. And then there's these Megamorphs and Andalite Chronicles and hork And we're about a quarter of the way through. So I'm hoping some of this stuff starts paying off. But I guess it's it's early enough that it doesn't have to. Ugh. You know, we're not that far from when we hit the Ghostwriters, which I have heard are not as good, so it, we may be waiting a while for the payoff. Anyway, so back to the book. They all, since the T-Rex is injured, they were all able to acquire the morph. And then they go about, Axe mentions that he saw some light that was definitely artificial. Yeah, they all assumed it was lightning except Axe, who knew that it was not like natural light. Because his eye stalks, his pineal gland is enhanced and he can see into the ultraviolet spectrum with his eye stalks. So they go wandering off in that direction with their torches from the fire they made. And then I guess I think at that point we snap, snap back to Tobias and Rachel. Yes, who have a close encounter with a Spinosaur. Somewhat unnecessarily. I don't know if Kay was just excited about dinosaurs. A lot of this book seems to be like she was just excited about dinosaurs. 
Well, I mean, if you think about it, this is the one book where she gets to bust out dinosaurs. They are never going to have a Sanrio rip to a period where dinosaurs are extant again. So I feel like I really can forgive just wanting to cram as many dinosaurs in as possible. (laughs) Yeah, and spoiler alert, they don't get to keep the dinosaur morphs. I mean, that was implied by the fact that it's a Sanrio rip. Then nothing matters and nothing counts and it's all bullshit. Except weirdly enough, and that's... That's something that I wanted to make note of. This is different than the last Sanrio rip that we saw because, or maybe not the last one, but the first one that we saw. Because the first one that we saw was jumping back to a point in the timeline when Jake existed. And those events were erased, I think, because there can't be two Jakes at the same time. And also he made a choice beforehand that pulled him out of the loop. This one, they come back right after they left, but it's very heavily implied that they always had traveled back there and always made the decisions that they did. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be anything different, and I'm just going to go ahead and assume that nothing in the actual mainline continuity is different because these books are sort of meant to exist outside of it to a certain extent. But the fact that they've traveled through Sanrio Rip into the future and then brought knowledge back to change the timeline, which they've done in two other Sanrio rips, it, it raises the question of how time streams seem to be working. I think that the time travel rules are different for each individual Sanrio rip. Well, that's just bullshit, Brent. So hear me out. Okay. Like I said, the first one that we went, that Jake went through, it was the same timeline. So the rules that applied involved paradoxes and being in two places at the same time. This one... Things seem to work out as if history depended on them having always gone back in time. Yeah, no, you're right. Because the, well, yeah, because the Nesk, we haven't even gotten to the Nesk in this continuity. We haven't even gotten to their, in the, in, in the book timeline yet. Well, right. So this is actually, we are right at the Nesk where Rachel and Tobias uh, run into the Nesk in the process of like avoiding a Spinosaur. Yeah. And the Nesk is ants? It's like a worm that walks, but made of ants. It's just ants, and they can get together and form creatures, or they can be just ants. I think there might be a Rick and Morty character that's like this. Well, probably based on K.A. K.A. has, you know, influenced a lot of stuff. Oh, 100%. It raises a lot of questions also about ants, and whether... Because the, the Nesk are ants, and they are aliens, so are they... Is K.A. saying that ants are aliens? K.A. never really makes it explicit in this book whether Nesk is a plural or singular. I mean, it, I, I assume it's the singular pronoun for a multiple being. So if the Nesk work like ants, then there is one queen controlling them all. So that is Nesk, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, they say that they have a mound, which points to a very ant-like society. And they're described as ants. Yeah, I mean, they're just ants. They're not ant-like, they are ants. So I think it's likely that what's happening here is K.A. Applegate saying that the evolutionary ancestors of ants are whatever bits of the Nesk collective life form were left on the planet after they took off. Okay, but they weren't sentient enough to do what the Nesk in this book do, which is form bodies that are capable enough of using and firing weapons and spaceships. Right, because they didn't have their queen so they just sort of evolved a non-sentient replacement. Okay, I can see that. I kind of like that, actually. And like the, so the, as the story goes, the Nesk try to capture Rachel and Tobias and fail, but in trying to capture them, push them in the arms of the other aliens on the planet, the Mercora. Who are weird asymmetrical crab people. Uh, who are the ones that Rachel, not Rachel, that Jake, Cassie, Marco, and Axe saw the lights of and went to investigate. So they all sort of wind up together in the arms of the Mercora. Yeah, in this big canyon. So the whole premise here is that both the Mercora and the Nesk are not Earth natives. The Mercora are like the last remnants of their race who have colonized this canyon on Earth. And the Nesk are sort of this scavenger species that takes technology from other races and repurposes it for their own use. And they want Earth as well. They consider Earth and everything on it to be their property. Yeah. 
And the Mercora are gentle farming people, and there aren't a lot of them left. But this is like the last colony. They fucking celebrate in this book by planting broccoli fields. By the way, broccoli is not native to Earth. They brought it. So long and thanks for all the broccoli, Mercora. (laughs) I actually really love that. That's the thing. More than anything, the thing I remember most about this book is that broccoli is alien. Which is so funny. Delicious. So delicious. <laughs> I don't love broccoli, but that's just me. I like cauliflower, which I assume is also alien. I have to imagine. I don't know. I don't, I don't actually know about... You know what? But we don't need to get into that. This These books don't really care about DNA anyway. No. Uh, so they all wind up in the Mercora base, and they talk through the situation, and they're like, okay, well, we need to make an explosion, just as... Big and bad is the one that sent us here, so we need a heavy nuclear weapon. Because that's how you close the Sanrio rip, is by having an explosion the same size as the... Is is that how they closed the previous Sanrio rip? Um, The previous one was when when they were in the jungle and they were caught in that there can't be two of us existent in the same place. Are we sure that there hasn't been a Sanrio rip since then? Well, there, well, Brent, as you mentioned earlier, there is the time-space non-Sanrio rip. Yes, the Z-space extrusion incident, right. Which snapped them back automatically. But the first actual, legit, full-on Sanrio rip, they did have to recreate the explosion, if I recall. Okay. So they do that. They do that thing. (laughs) Let's just glossing over whether or not it makes sense that you just blow something up real good to travel in time and then blow something up as good to to get back. Don't worry too much about it. They become dinosaurs, so the nests don't seem to care that dinosaurs wander in and out of their base. So they become dinosaurs and invade the base, uh, but are caught out because they thought speech and the nests have a thought speech communicator detector. Because the Mercora communicate via thought speech like Andalites. And uh, Axe mentions in a rare, rare moment of admitting that somebody has done something better than the Andalites, that Andalite scientists right now are still working on theoretical thought speech detectors. They don't have that. Yeah, they don't have that technology. Um, And the Mercora, who are 64 million years in the past, do. So so eat that, Axe. Not everybody's cut out for eating Axe. Oof. Yeah, right. So they sneak into the base, they get caught, they still manage to capture the nuclear weapon. Uh, Rachel carries it off in her dinosaur morph since it's smaller and more agile, a thing that she fucking hates. She hates that everybody else has T-Rexes and she doesn't. Which brings me, actually, we skipped over a little bit how when they all turned into T-Rexes, Cassie, during her chapter, sort of mentions that No, it's not during her chapter. She out and out says it to the others that she doesn't like to morph predators, which sort of explains why she hasn't acquired a better battle morph than a wolf, but also sort of supports our thesis that she objects to things that she really wants to do secretly because she is the one that is most taken over by the T-Rex instincts and definitely murders and eats a triceratops. More so, yeah, she's more affected by the predator instinct than even Tobias is, who is preconditioned to be primed for it. She is gone. And it's not that they're hungry at this part point, because they've all had their fill of broccoli. It, it seems to be like she's indulging in a thing that she doesn't want to be true about herself, maybe? Yes, very much. So that was pretty, that's pretty grim. It brings back the discussion about what, and I know we've talked about this before, we didn't really arrive at a consensus, but what happens to the contents of your stomach when you morph? God, this is such a good question, because it, it, I thought about that a lot during this book, because they talk a little bit about, I mean, they, they struggle to find food, Rachel especially, and it seems like once you acquire a morph that can hunt and eat raw meat, then you shouldn't have that issue, really. Which is weird, because we have, like, the Joe Bob incident, where Jake gets shot in his rhino morph, and then morphs and is talking about how it's good that the bullet was somewhere that he doesn't exist anymore, because it just falls out. And we have the the shark brain surgery experience, where they can't morph flies because it's too big, but 
Cassie morphs back to human and doesn't explode because of her giant distended stomach full of triceratops, full of T-Rex-sized bites of triceratops, which makes me wonder, I guess, maybe it's only an inorganic matter thing? Only organic matter can be transitioned to Z-Space, and that's why they can't wear clothes, except for some reason nylon counts if it's real tight. It, it raises a lot of questions. The fact that the bullets are an issue and pants aren't <laughs> is already really confusing, because the pants, it's supposed to be any tight-fitting clothes. If a bullet is inside you, I don't know how much tighter that can get, really. So much tighter. <laughs> but the yeah, the question of food is a really important one, because it's they've only ever really morphed small things and then had eating experiences they'd never morph something so much larger my theory on this and it is a shitty theory but given the information we are both gonna double down on it oh yes given the information that we have so far it's what makes sense to me the contents of your stomach when you shift into something smaller uh are suspended in z space in a fatberg like we originally imagined (laughs) your normal body was and that is the mass used for when you morph things that are larger than your normal body okay i like that there's yeah there's a shared eaten fatberg that they're all drawing upon yeah so when they morph a t-rex they're getting like banana peels and teriyaki (laughs) chicken and whatever nutrients and lights absorb yeah it's it's garbage they're they're making they're morphing out of garbage that's nice i actually quite like that there's something very eco-friendly about that and i feel like cassie would approve even if she's pretty upset that she killed a triceratops she would approve of their morphine using every part of the buffalo (laughs) yeah yeah survivalist cassie would be into that so they morph into t-rexes and just sort of wander through the nesk base like they were horses at Area 51. Wait, Zone 92? I don't remember what the fucking fake-ass Area 51 was. And they get detect- They get picked up by the thought speech detectors, because of course they do. And it takes the Nesk a little bit to figure out that it's the dinosaurs that it's coming from, but as soon as the alarm starts going off, they just they break bad and start busting up the warehouse that they assume these explosives are in. Yeah, and they have a good time. I like the sequence where, as T-Rexes, they jump on these spaceships that are trying to lift off the ground and just stomp them into the the dirt because they're T-Rexes and they are giant. It is a pretty amazing scene where one of them does that as a Donnie Nakaras, uh, (laughs) and then a T-Rex does it to the other side and sends them flying through the air. It's a very good seesaw imagery. Mm-hmm. But they they manage to get the nuke, but they are tailed by one of their other ships, one of the one of the Nesk's other ships. And there are multiple ships, so whether or not the Nesk is a collective, they are at least able to form multiple bodies. Yeah, there's there's multiple ships. They're all sort of different origins, because as mentioned previously, the Nesks sort of just scavenge other races' technology. Yeah, and they uh, are trying to, the Animorphs are trying to make their escape, and Axe thought speech is using a thought speech long-distance communicator, which seems very handy. A thought speech communicator, yes, yes. I wonder what the range is on those bad boys, because it seems like the sort of thing he could use in the modern day. Right, it seems so useful. Maybe it's a technology the Andalites don't have yet. Although they should. No, they definitely do, because he he thought speaks to the Z-Space transponder to the Andalite homeworld, so obviously it's incorporated in the Z-Space transponder technology, and man, I am a nerd. (laughs) That just seems like something that you could attach to Tobias, and then Tobias could, like, thought speech any of the gang from anywhere. That seems like it would be really handy. That would be so cool. Yes. And then Rachel and Tobias could have, like, a call line? Thought speech call line? I think it'd be nice. Anyway, they Axe calls the Mur... He, he can mur- store it in that little nylon pouch that Cassie sewed for him before Axe showed up. Exactly. It's everything I want for Tobias. They, Mercora, Mercora come to save them, uh, but end up losing, like, one of their two spaceships doing so yes uh, and like a lot of their people because they're kind of a small colony their homeworld was destroyed by like a black hole or something yeah it was yeah it was sucked into a black hole and they they're the only people that escaped this is sort of an aside but axe does mention and this is a bit of andalite world building that at this point in history andalites have not yet evolved but also their homeworld is still wandering between two stars 
one of which goes supernova, which is how it ended up around the one star. Yeah, that was really interesting. I feel like that's going to come back up. Yeah, I I feel like maybe it's just some nice world building. I really like it as world building, but I'd be I'd be cool if it came back. I mean, either way, I, I appreciate the inclusion of that. I, we don't say it enough, but Kay Applegate really has been knocking it out of the park with these books, and we love her very much. Yes, I mean, these books are killer. Even reading them as adults looking back, they are pretty, pretty gripping and pretty engaging and pretty well thought out books. Thank you, Kay. Thank you, Kay. So the Murkoa lose just a lot of their people, but uh, they're able to save the Animorphs, which is the most important part, uh, according to our concerns. So the Mercora save them, sacrificing like half of their people in the meantime, and they all go back to the Mercora base. But the Nesk, also, the, the Nesk blow, like they leave the planet. They are done fighting for it. There's an interesting little scene in the Mercora ship where all of the Mercora have sort of ritually amputated one of their limbs. Yeah. Because it will grow back, but through this, they share the physical pain of having to had, have killed. Yeah, they. I believe the phrase one of the Mercora says is something like, to be killed is a sadness, to kill is a sin. Which is an incredible on-the-fly thought-speak translation. <laughs> Yeah, but Cassie is into that. Cassie, like, she's like, yeah, that's the shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mm, we'll come back to this in a second, because I have thoughts, but they involve where we're getting to in the book. They all return to the Mercora base. Yeah, the Nesk take the fuck off. The Mercora have a big party. They celebrate by planting broccoli. And then the Nesk decide to take the revenge if they can't have Earth. Nobody can have Earth. Right, they're going to ugly up Earth, so no one else will want it. (sighs) And they gently nudge the comet so it is now in line on a crash collision course with Earth. With specifically the Mercora Canyon. Yeah, they're they're done with this planet and fuck all y'all. And the Mercora gently suggest they don't actually ask for it, but they lay it out in such a way as to imply that they would like the Animorphs to comply which is very Mercora, I guess, at this point, because they're just extremely polite, even when it's the extinction of their species on the line. They want the nuke because they could potentially use it to, like, break the comet up into a bunch of pieces so it won't just completely destroy their colony. Yeah, which is a sound plan, but does more or less prevent the Animorphs, probably, from being able to return back to their own time. Also, as Tobias rightly surmises prevents the Animorphs from ever existing. Yes, which is its own paradoxical problem. So this is the comet. It is the comet that added the dinosaurs. Uh, Chicxulub. Or Chicxulub's is a crater it landed in. I don't know if that's the name of the crater or the, the comet itself. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Tobias sort of makes this association that this is the comet that ends the dinosaurs and that it hitting is necessary. So he's privately thought speaking to Axe his plan that he does not reveal to the others until later, that they are going to give the nuclear device to the Mercora, but rig it first so it doesn't explode right. Which is dark, and honestly, I think probably the wrong decision. Yeah, I mean, I don't. they didn't necessarily have to give them a failed nuke. To, was there, I, I can't remember, was there a specific reason why they didn't just tell the Mercora and have them leave? I mean, I know they only have one spaceship left, so they might not have been able to get everybody on. So they couldn't. It's, it's made explicit that they can't evacuate. And the reason that Tobias gives is that the comet has to hit the Mercora Canyon because no archaeologist has ever found evidence of their civilization. There's no fossil or proof that they existed, so they must be entirely wiped out. So Tobias is coming at this from a preserving the timeline as it is point of view, And I think he's made the wrong decision because, frankly, the Mercora sound like they'd be way better stewards of the planet than humans. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and they are in a position to know that. Maybe it should just be theirs. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something especially cruel about offering them the hope that the nuke will work and that they will survive as a species. And then they, they literally just morph birds and leave while the Mercora go to do this mission. 
Yeah. And there's something about that that's so much more cruel than just saying, no, we can't give you this nuke. Well, that's why Tobias and Axe made the decision explicitly so the rest of them didn't have to live with themselves having made it. So they do that and then they go back to the ocean where they first arrived and morph dolphins and hang out and watch the end of the world. It's mentioned a couple times. They don't really un- they don't really get this because Tobias is talking about like, well, maybe we don't actually want to live through this because the next couple years on Earth after this are pretty bad. Yeah. But it is mentioned several times before they drop in the ocean that when the comet hits, it will have the explosive force of 100 million nukes. Yeah. Is that what it said? Was it 100 million or a million? Um, I think it was just... I think it was just a million. I mean, I guess once you get to a million, like, it doesn't really matter how much more than that it is, right? Right, diminishing returns. Uh, So none of them makes the connection that, oh, this is a big-ass explosion, so they'll just snap back. I wonder where all of the Mercora end up, since they got hit by uh, a million nuke explosion, and that sends you through time. (laughs) That would be, it would be amazing if they the Animorphs had to reckon with them because they meet them in the future and the Mercora remember that... I'm really hoping that that is the case, that the Mercora are displaced <sighs> forward through time via Sanrio Rip. They never get snapped back because they don't have explosives because they're a peaceful race. And then the Animorphs run into them and they're like, oh yeah, it's you guys, the destroyers of worlds. Yeah, that would be that would be so amazing. I mean, heart-wrenching and horrible, and it would probably mess Cassie up for forever, but it sounds <laughs> so good. I mean, let's be real. Cassie is already pretty messed up for forever. They're all pretty messed up for forever. True. I think it's worth mentioning that the book ends. They don't in all the other Sanrio rips, they snap, and it's just a matter of they're here one place and they're here the next. In this one, they watch as time moves forward, that was super weird. Yeah, I don't really understand. They're like floating in a void outside of time and watching it move forward in fast fast motion. Yeah, they specifically watch the last T-Rex starve and die in front of them. Dark. So that was weird. I don't entirely know what the purpose of that was other than K.A. gently reminding us that Human history is just a brief gasp in the long breath of time. I think that maybe all it is is K.A. reminding us that all things must end. All men must die. Valor Margolis. Memento Mori. I think that's the perfect note to end on. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this book? Um, just that this Megamorph feels like it has... Did I already say that it has less repetition? I don't think so, but it would be ironic if you had... Fuck. Okay. Just that I have a note from this book that literally just reads, I am a Saltosaurus. <laughs> I don't know what a Saltosaurus <laughs> is, but I definitely am a it's Saltosaurus. It's you, Brent. It's you, Brent. You're the Saltosaurus. <sighs> That's my Patronus. <laughs> it's a Saltosaurus. Yeah, maybe that can be your, your scaly persona. Uh, I don't know about that. Thanks for listening. This has been Fandalite's Megamorphs number two. Next week is book 19, The Departure. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, actually, because I remember this cover probably more than any of the others because it's Cassie morphing a butterfly and looking just so beautiful. Yeah, you mentioned that this is the cover that sticks out in your mind. Yeah, I'm so I'm excited about that. Uh, so hit us up. Uh, any thoughts or feelings or links or whatever that you want to express uh we're on twitter at fandalites you can email us fandalites at gmail.com we're on tumblr at fandalites.tumblr.com um thank you to dustin odell for the use of his music for our intro and outro you can find his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com and he's on twitter as well but i don't remember his handle off the top of my head anyway give him a follow he's a cool dude thanks for listening and until next time nostalgia is a drug (laughs) 